Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Cats and kittens, and here's another exciting episode of Back to the Bins. All right. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to do kind of a Wolfman Jack impersonation, but it didn't come out of my throat properly. So I realized I had to kind of veer left at the last minute there. But hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Back to the Bins, because I figured out a way to say welcome and Back to the Bins without saying welcome back to Back to the Bins. <laughs> so... <laughs> no, I was excited. I thought about that today. I'm like, I'm going to try that tonight. Uh, my name is Michael Bailey. And I am not Wolfman Jack either. <laughs> I am Scott Gardner. How's it going? It is going great. We've got a lot of... I have got a book. I brought a book today that was that I chose based on your recommendation. Oh, no. I'm not saying... No, 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 no. You're going to... When I tell you what it is, you're going you're gonna to get excited. You really are. But, uh, Cherry Pop Tart? Oh, that always does get me excited. You're absolutely right. Oddly enough, I, I have owned, I don't own them currently because, well, that's not a book I could explain. They just to got the all wife. stuck together. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at Cherry Pop Tart like porn. It's not something you hang on to for the rest of your life, it's something you throw away with the cat litter so no one else can find out that you bought it. <laughs> no, there was a. There was this uh, convenience store when I lived up in Pennsylvania when I was living on my own that I would go to every once in a while. It was where I bought my porn when I was 19. And uh, the guy knew I was into comics, so he he had cherry Pop-Tart behind the counter too. But it was a weird (laughs) convenience store because all of his comics on the floor were bagged and boarded. And he carried like all of the image titles and even a back issues on his wall, like in the front of the store. It was really weird. He's like, you like porn? You like comics? Read this. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I guess you're going first this week. Sure, why not? I have an interesting one this time around. Not cherry pop tart, I'm assuming. No, no, it's not. But maybe, maybe in a future episode. What, what the hell? Maybe I'll actually dig one of those out for a future episode, just for the hell of it. Don't leave it lying around because the kids. (laughs) Probably really like to see that. Oh no no no! They are they are hid in a special spot. No, this one we are going back to January nineteen ninety two for this one, and uh, I know I was supposed to bring a a DC to the table this time, but instead I decided to shake things up just a tiny wee bit. This one is actually from Harvey Comics, and. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I bet you I have like maybe a handful of Harveys in my entire collection. But uh, I bought this one 
for a very specific reason. Did you people know that Back to the Future actually had a comic series, at least for a little while anyway? And It, it doesn't was... surprise me. Yeah, well, I, I, I wonder how many people actually know that because, you know, it's one of those big properties, or at least you would think it would be one of those big properties that you would think of and go, gee, why wasn't there ever a comic book of that? You know, it was huge, like like Star Wars or, you know, I don't know, something like that. You know, at least it was it was a whole trilogy. It was really popular in its time. Why wasn't there a comic? But there actually was a comic. Didn't last for very long. I, I forget exactly how many issues, but it, it wasn't very long. Um, and, uh, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and get into this, and I'll, I'll give you my take on the whole thing. Um, the cover on this, it's really interesting. It's by Gil Kane, who is kind of hit and miss for me. I, I, I really like Gil Kane. However, I only like Gil Kane in certain aspects. This, unfortunately, isn't one of them. He's he's going for a very cartoony look, and somehow it just doesn't quite come off properly. The dinosaurs on the cover look really cool, but uh, but Doc and Marty look just kind of bizarre. Um, the credits on this one, it is written by... Dwayne McDuffie. Yes, that Dwayne McDuffie. Wow. Yeah. Penciled by, and I never even heard of this guy, uh, penciled, inked, and colored by Nelson Dewey. Um, and this story is entitled Forward to the Past, which is kind of neat because it's, you've got Back to the Future, you know, in, in the Back to the Future font style, and then right beneath it, in the same font style, it says Forward to the Past. So it's, it's kind of neat, just kind of a play on the whole Back to the Future thing. And we start off this story with uh, Doc Brown, and he's calling his kids, uh, Jules and Vern, to come quick. He's invented this new thing, and he wants to show it off. And it's basically, to make a long story short, it's kind of like a disintegrator gun, really. And his kids are wanting to test the thing out. And he's like, well, you know, we can't really do that where we're at. You know, it could really be dangerous. So we need to go somewhere that's safe and barren where we basically can't, you know, cause any any serious damage. So they decide, all right, well, we're going to we're going to time travel. We're going to go back in time three million years, you know, to three million B.C. basically. So they go busting out of their barn where they, they keep their DeLorean. And uh, they happen to run past Marty and uh, and Einstein, who just, I don't know, I guess just happen to be in the neighborhood for something. They don't pick them up or anything. They just basically stop, chit-chat for a minute, and then they take off. They travel back in time, and they wind up back in the uh, Cretaceous period. And Doc whips out his new invention, and he's going to test it out. And they go through a series of wacky mishaps, you know, where they come across a, uh, I don't know if this is supposed to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex or what, but you know, a giant, you know, man-eating dinosaur, basically. They have a wacky little adventure with a, uh, a Tyrannodon that takes a shine to them. But long story short, Doc finally gets the, the perfect thing to try out his new invention on, and it's a meteor that is on a collision course with Earth. So, in order to, uh, have the proper power to really try out his new invention on such a, a massive object and you know it's traveling so fast and all that they actually hook it into the uh the mr fusion part of the time machine 
which juices it up <laughs> and it fires out this laser ball and it totally disintegrates the uh, the asteroid that was hurtling towards Earth. So it's a successful test, and they decide at this point, okay, well, mission accomplished. Let's go back, you know, to the future. And at this point, you can kind of probably guess exactly what's going to end up happening. They go back to the future, and of course, because they destroyed the asteroid that was hurtling at the Earth that was going to herald the end of the Age of Dinosaurs, when they get back to present day, the dominant species is dinosaur people. And so Hill Valley really looks cool. It looks like, uh, if you remember that show, I think it was a Disney show, but I could be wrong. I think it was called Dinosaurs or something like that. It was kind of like the Flintstones, but everybody was like a Muppet dinosaur type of thing. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's exactly what this looks like. So you've got people driving cars that look sort of vaguely dinosaur-esque. You've got a McDonald's that's gotten kind of a dinosaur makeover. What I really got a kick out of is that this is a Harvey comic, yet there's a kid that is reading an issue of... uh, You can't really read the lettering on it, but it is clearly a dinosaur version of Spider-Man swinging on the cover of this comic. It's really funny looking. So you've got a... It it looks like the lizard wearing a Spider-Man costume is kind of what it looks like. We've got, you know, a kid, you know, a dinosaur kid wearing a beanie watching TV, you know, and it's dinosaurs on the TV. So everything is dinosaurs. And Doc and his kids realize pretty quick that, uh, whoops, I guess we kind of like fucked up because we, you know, now the dinosaurs never died out and uh, human beings never raised up. So they realize, you know, Doc does some quick calculations and realizes that they've got about 12 and a half minutes to solve this situation or they're going to fade out from existence, kind of like Marty was going to fade out in the first movie after he failed to get his, his parents to hook up. So, again, they go through a, a wacky series of, uh, of mishaps. But they eventually wind up back where they started from, um, just moments, uh, actually moments before they were about to, to travel back to the future um, from the Cretaceous period the first time. Doc brings out his uh, disintegrator beam thingy again, hooks it into the time machine, hits basically the reverse button, I guess, and puts the meteor back into the sky. But the disturbing part of this whole thing is that the pteranodon that uh, Doc's kids befriended, you know, there's like this nice like E.T. scene at the end of it, you know, where they hug him goodbye and there's a tearful farewell and all this and they leave him and it shows them flying away. And in the background, the pteranodon's got like its its arm up and it's waving at them goodbye and it's got a big smile on its face as this meteor is plunging to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to, you know, render all all of these dinosaurs. I was just like... Wow, what kind of messed up story element is that? So they get uh they go back to the future. They wind up back, you know, basically where they left from. Everything's restored. You know, Einstein and Marty are back. They're okay. They're uh, hale and hearty. And at the conclusion, we see one of Doc's kids, um, a, a bird flies down out of the sky and, and kind of alights, you know, on the on the kid's hand. And he's like, "Hey, pop." Do you think this could be one of Donnie's, which is what they called the Pteranodon, they called him Donnie. This could be one of Donnie's great-great-grandsons, and everybody has a chuckle, and that's pretty much where the story ends. Now, 
it wasn't bad. It's, you know, it, it's good, clean family fun, which is basically what Harvey Comics is. But there was kind of a, a, a bittersweet feeling to the whole thing in that this is very much based on the animated ser- series, the short-lived animated yeah. series that came out after Back to the Future 3. So it really feels just very, very tenuously related to you know what what I consider to be Back to the Future. And uh, like I say, not, not a bad read or anything, but it would have been nice to get something a little meatier. And I really think that this is one of those properties that still has some, some life in it, potentially. I would love to see you know, one of the uh, one of the the present day comics companies, say like uh, like IDW or Dynamite or somebody like that, get a, you know somebody that's that's got a you know, or Dark Horse that has a proven track record with licensed properties. You know, IDW is doing some absolutely amazing things with Star Trek right now. You've got a uh, you know Dark Horse has a proven track record with Star Wars. Um, Dynamite has had some big hits with like uh, uh, the Lone Ranger and uh, the Man with No Name and Zorro and some other things that they have done. Any of those guys, I, I think, you know, would would be a great fit with something like this. So I'm hoping that one of these days we'll we'll see this dusted off and and see new comic books of it sometime because uh, I think I've only ever ever. Uh, read one other issue of uh, of Back to the Future from Harvey, and it was pretty much this this same thing, where it's uh, very very light and cartoony, but but ultimately didn't quite feel like the the Back to the Future that I know and love. So yeah, In, an well, interesting I- little diversion. The the biggest thing that I got a real kick out of though is that uh, this Dewey guy's art style. Yeah. I don't know if he's intentionally doing it or not, but man, does it look like Sergio Aragones to me. It looks like he's really <laughs> trying to ape that. And Doc Brown, in a whole lot of panels in this, looks more like Chancellor Palpatine to me than he does Doc Brown. It's really very funny. You know, it's kind of funny that the Back to the Future animated series took place at the same time that there was a Teen Wolf animated series. And I always wanted a team up of that. <laughs> that would, that would have, have been, been very cool. That would have been awesome. That would have uh, been awesome. Uh, you told me, uh, speaking of Back to the Future, the animated series, you told me how when you went, or you didn't tell me, but you said on an episode of Two True Freaks, how you went to Disney and they had the voice of Obi-Wan there. Yeah. And, and he did a routine with where he was doing Fred and Barney or something like that. Yeah, he, he's the he's the official voice of uh, of Fred Flintstone. Yeah, so anytime you see like a like a Cocoa Pebbles commercial or something like that, the guy that do, that does Obi Wan on Clone Wars is also uh, Fred Flintstone, and well, a, a bunch of other voices too. But that was the one that stuck with you know stuck with me. Apparently, at another thing like that, he did it as Doc Brown. He did the Anakin Obi Wan scene as Doc Brown and Marty because oh. he was part of the uh, Back to the Future animated series as well. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Oh, I'd like to hear that too. That's probably very funny. So, <laughs> I don't think he was Doc Brown because I think the guy that does Homer was Doc Brown. Oddly enough, uh, Dan Castellaneta, I huh. think, is that dude's name. I remember. I actually watched a couple episodes of that 
of that series because it was on when I was still half-assed watching cartoons on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, when there was Saturday morning cartoons. No, you know, you're talking the Back to the Future one, right? Yes. Yeah, there's a torrent out there that I don't think it's complete. I don't think it's every single episode, but I, 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 I it's like the majority of it. Because there wasn't, um, I, I want to say there was like a, uh, less than two seasons, like 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 less than two complete seasons. It was like a season and a half or a season and three-fourths or something like that. Really not very many at all because the problem with the show, and, and this is from somebody who only ever saw just a handful of them, so you know, take this with a grain of salt, but the problem I had with the show is that, for one, it's one of those like sequel slash continuations that's very nebulous and, and doesn't really give much of an explanation of um, how exactly did they carry this concept forward? Yeah. Cause they never really explain why there's another DeLorean, you know, why doc got over his hesitation to start tra- time traveling again and things like that. Where was Clara? Now I could be wrong. She might've popped in later, but I know in the early episodes I ever saw, there's like not even any mention of her. Um, you know, little things like that, which, you know, yeah, they are small and nitpicky, but when you're a fan of the, of those three movies, you get hung up on little details like that. But also every episode was very, very, very formulaic. They would, they would travel back to some point in history. They would meet the McFlies and the Tannins of that era. There would be some sort of conflict and some sort of time travel thingy that they had to resolve it would all get conveniently resolved and then everything was back to normal. To a degree, the comic I just read had a small element of that because one of the dinosaurs that um, they, they are witness to in the changed present day, you know, when it's the, dom- the dinosaur-dominated society, one of them is a tannin. Which I thought, okay, that's really stupid. You know, that's really silly. I was about to say that so, is dumb. Yeah, it, it really wow. is. But you know, I mean, but this is you know, it's it's aping a Saturday morning cartoon show that that you know was was very much. I mean, I don't want to be overly insulting, but it was very much com, you know lowest common denominator style animation. You know, it was it was a very very simplistic story, very simplistic um, animation style, and it was just. You know, it was it was a product of its time. You know, but the, you know the kind of cartoons I was I'm, I'm talking. Oh yeah, oh definitely. It, 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 that was very much the style of Saturday morning animation at that time. It, it's it's like why Fox I think totally decimated everybody else on Saturday morning because one for the longest time they were the only ones showing animated series uh, because you know. Freaking NBC got lost in doing Saved by the Bell on Saturday mornings, and they kind of abandoned doing cartoons at all. But two, even though the animation wasn't always perfect, they at least had stories that, you know, in the X-Men and Spider-Man and Batman the Animated Series and all that, that had a good flow to them, that actually engaged you. Right. And weren't formulaic crap. Right. So (laughs) it's just, you know, like CBS, which I think is what showed Back to the Future, I had a so. bunch of that. Had a bunch of that kind of shit going on. They are the ones who did the Teen Wolf series, which was terrible. And they did, you know, you know. Okay, I like Muppet Babies because it's it's a Muppet property, and I'm predisposed to like a Muppet property. But man, you know, 
NBC wasn't much better. Alf Tales sucked. <laughs> Here's Alf doing Robin Hood. Yeah, because that's what I want to fucking see on Saturday morning. Right. Sorry. I don't I don't mean to get upset about it. <laughs> I shouldn't get upset about it at any rate, so Well, did you have any um Anything else to add to that book? Or, Any more uh, amazing insight into Harvey Comics Back to the Future? No, not really. But thanks for asking. I figured I'd ask. I didn't want to walk all over anything. Well, sir, I have you to thank for the book I read tonight for this episode. Uh-oh. I, I really, really did. A couple episodes ago, I covered an issue of Iron Man that had the Hulk in it. Oh. And you suggested I check out a three-part story, a three-issue story that started in Iron Man number one thirty-one, with the Hulk uh, and Iron Man having a really interesting type of team-up, and not in a slash fiction sort of way. So, thanks to my friend T. O. Rent, uh, <laughs> I was able to. Uh, <laughs> I know that guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's a he great sends me shit all the time. <laughs> I was able to read Iron Man number 131 with a cover date of February 1980. The story title is Hulk is Where the Heart Is. Writer and plot, David Michelini. Pencil art, Jerry Bingham. Finished art, Bob Layton and plot. And it has an awesome Bob Layton cover. That looks like the Hulk is about to smash a hole with Iron Man and walk it fucking dry while all these army people are coming up behind him. God, it's awesome. And the armor just looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Tony Stark is sitting in traffic with a, with uh, Bethany Cabe. Is that her last name? Uh, yeah, I think so. I couldn't remember off the top of my head. Anyways... She has picked him up from the airport after a three-day trip to Hong Kong. She apologizes for the traffic jam they're in, but Tony doesn't care and thanks her for helping him get off the bottle recently. Because this is like three issues after the demon in the bottle story. Yes, that's right. They're about to make out when Stark notices a bunch of people running past their car. Tony soon discovers that the problem is the Hulk, who is sitting in the middle of the road eating a bunch of fruit as the police are surrounding him. The Hulk is quite annoyed by this. He's not really hurting anybody. And he says that if the policeman won't leave him alone, he'll eat the cops instead of the fruit. (laughs) I just thought that was funny. Tony tries to duck away to change into Iron Man via a story that he's going to call the Avengers, but Bethany says that he's a well-known public figure whose presence could ease the panic and that she'll take care of making the call. Tony is rather surprised his lame ploy worked, his words, and he runs towards the Hulk, hoping that the police will hit the Hulk with sleeping gas, because even though he has never been killed in a battle with the Jade Giant, that doesn't mean there won't be a first time for it. Meanwhile, the idiot trucker who was driving the truck full of fruit is bitching to the cops that the Hulk is eating his product, which is uninsured, apparently, so he maces the Hulk. Guy's a fucking moron. And the Hulk just swats him away. And realizing he can't dick around anymore, Tony lo- Tony climbs into this van that says Love Machine. And it's got it's this total pimped out ride with like a bed in the back and everything. 
and he opens his Iron Man armor briefcase. The cops open fire on the Hulk, which just serves to piss him off more, and he turns on them. The National Guard arrives and start trying to attack the Hulk with helicopters, but he, the Hulk takes out one of the choppers with a handy tanker full of milk. Iron Man steps in to try and reason with the Incredible One, but gets punched away for his troubles. On a bridge near the scene of all that is going on, a woman named Ethel tells her husband Fred that they need to get the hell out of there, but Fred is all like, I ain't paid off this campy yet. I'm staying. While their son, Ricky, thinks that the Hulk is neat. One of the soldiers fires a bazooka at the Hulk, who dodges uh, who dodges it, but the explosive takes out the bridge that the camper is on. The Hulk goes into action, because, you know, a lot of people seem to forget the Hulk's a fucking hero. You know, he, he may cause a lot of destruction, but he doesn't like innocent people getting hurt. And he saves the boy, because the boy wasn't doing anything wrong, just like the Hulk. Can I, can Rick- I stop you for a second? Sure. Does Is the kid playing with Micronauts? Yes. Ah, oh, every once in a while, I actually remember something. Yeah, I remember really digging that, that, that the kid had Micronauts I, figures. I was actually about to mention that. Ricky runs up to the Hulk and invites him to play with what are Micronauts. That's Iron Man awesome. Retur- Iron Man returns just in time to stop the cops from advancing on the Hulk as the boy has calmed him down enough to change back to Bruce Banner. Bruce begs Iron Man to kill him. And Iron Man takes pity on Bruce and takes him back to his home, where he tucks Bruce into bed, thinking how crazy it is to bring one of his deadliest enemies into his own house. The next morning, Tony's housekeeper wigs the fuck out upon discovering that Bruce Bruce Banner, not Bruce Wayne, Bruce Banner is in her home and slumped over uh, like an artist table. Tony exclaims that, it's cool, it's cool, bitch, it's cool, calm down! (laughs) She makes a... (laughs) What's her name? Honey Bunny. Tell him it's... (laughs) flashing back to Pulp Fiction, but uh, she actually makes a rather funny joke about Galactus as she walks away, like, when you want to have Galactus over, I'll go make breakfast. Anyways, Bruce has come up with an idea that is essentially a pacemaker that will keep his heart rate from going nova and causing the startling metamorphosis. The two work together and even get Scott Lang to help, since Bruce has the brain power to conceive of such a device, but not the technical know-how to actually construct it. They implant the device, and after testing it, discover that it's worked. The problem is is that the cops want to take Bruce back into custody, even though Iron Man is all like, back the fuck up, because, you know, we got this shit, and it's okay. They attack anyway. Bruce makes a run for it, and one of the officers lobs a grenade at him. Iron Man tries to knock the grenade out of the air, but it goes off anyway. As the smoke clears, a shadowy figure starts to bellow about how some smashing is about to start, and Iron Man and the others are shocked to discover that when the smoke clears, Bruce Banner is standing there yelling, Hulk will smash. And that's where the issue ends. Holy crap, that was awesome. Yeah, I was just going to say, now wasn't that a fantastic cliffhanger to this? Yeah. It was no everything about this issue was good. There was nothing bad about this entire issue, even the shitty uh, "I Love Lucy" reference. <laughs> there was, I mean, it had the Hulk as I like the Hulk to be seen. He's just sitting there, really not doing a goddamn thing. You know, okay, yeah, he he's eating, he's stealing fruit essentially, but he's not attacking anybody. He's not threatening anybody. He's just sitting there eating. 
and the cops are all like wigged out and don't know how to deal with it. And like, and even when the guy maces him, all the guy gets is knocked back. It's not like the Hulk, you know, rips him in half and throws the pieces in the opposite directions. And I like the fact that Tony was like seriously not wanting to take on the Hulk. Even though he's Iron Man, even though he's a hero, it's like, shit, this is the Hulk. <laughs> the Hulk's fucking strong. I don't know if I can take him. And all through it, and you mentioned that, that you liked this story because it showed a good relationship between Bruce Banner and Tony Stark. Yeah. A little like the, the Bruce Wayne-Bruce Banner relationship in the Batman versus the Incredible Hulk story. These and two stories have such amazing parallels to me. They really do remind me of one another. But I liked it. I liked seeing the big brains of the Marvel Universe getting together. I liked Tony's thinking, you know, I'm going to help this guy. Because it's not his fault he's in this situation. So it makes Tony look completely magnanimous. You know, like, I'm the good guy, and they got Scott Lang in, so you have your your, your obligatory random Marvel, <laughs> uh, like, cameo appearance. Well, was it, he was working for Tony at that time, wasn't he? He was, like, head of his security division or some shit? I'm not really sure, unfortunately. I'm not very familiar with overly with this era of Iron Man, but I, I'm going to be. Because um, I really got to read how this story ends. And the artwork in this issue is just completely awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bingham's pencils with Bob Layton inking them. There isn't a... I mean, the Hulk looks good. Iron Man's armor. This is one of my favorite Iron Man armors. This 80s era armor is just amazing. Mm -hmm. And there's great use of shading. And just everything about this issue made me, like, really excited. Right down to the, the middle spread of the Star Wars action figure line <laughs> ad that had the Death Star and the Star Wars Imperial Troop Transporter, all the action figures, the radio-controlled Jawa Sandcrawler, the Droids Factory, the, new Star- the Darth Vader TIE Fighter, the Collector's Case. Oh, man. And there's two, count them, two ROM ads, one for the comic and one for the toy. That's awesome. I mean, there's this is everything that was awesome about Marvel in the 80s in one freaking issue. And it's got a stand soapbox. It's got that, uh, in, in a couple episodes ago when we discussed the Lady Cop, I think it was in that episode, you had the, the Mr. Fantastic Hostess ad <laughs> with, the, with the really freaky gold guy. And But just that last page of Bruce Banner standing there going, Hulk will smash. It is just great. I cannot believe how awesome. This reminded me why I like reading comics. This feeling right here. This feeling of, holy crap, this is like one of the best things I've ever read. I've got to find out what happens next. I don't know much about it, but I want to find out everything about Iron Man. And it's got the Hulk. And really and truly, this is a Marvel comic Hulk story that has a lot of feeling of the TV show in it. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing I absolutely loved about this issue was it it felt like the best of both worlds where you had the Marvel Hulk, who was a lot stronger than the TV Hulk. But it kind of felt like it was David Banner instead of Bruce Banner when they were working on shit together. And it's just, oh, man, I could just, I could, I could probably babble on about this for like a fucking hour. But 
Jesus, this was a great. Co- Thank you, sir. I honest, no, I'm serious. Thank you for recommending this one to me. I'm glad I tracked it down. Well, I really definitely, can't. I definitely recommend continuing on because um, the I, I I think this entire because this is a three issue um, arc, you know, with this this Hulk element because uh, it, it just ramps up in the next issue from here, and then the third part in one thirty three is something of an epilogue um, to to this story with the Hulk, and that one's really awesome. But the cool thing is, I, I'm going through here, I'm looking at a. Uh, at cover images this to me is is like my golden age of iron man period and it really lasts up until right around issue it's like 150 something it's like 156 7 8 somewhere in that period and then it took a bit of a, a, a of a of a downward turn because the art started to really suffer but i i still think having reread this a, a couple years ago I think the story is still pretty good. It's just the art took, you know, took a downturn. But, uh, you know, this eventually turns into the whole period where, where Tony descends back into alcoholism. He eventually loses his company to, to Obadiah Stane and all that. Um, there's some really good stuff in, in that whole stretch, I think. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward uh, to reading it. Because that's kind of my plan while my wife is recuperating from her minor bit of surgery that I'm going to be just sitting there reading comics on my computer. And I was planning to go through this Iron Man stuff that I've picked up recently. So, ah, oh, man, I'm just so glad. Ah, oh, God. I can't tell you how excited I was to record this episode after I got done reading it. I was like, I have something to really gush about. After feeling shitty about comics all week long, because I've just been so disappointed in the current stuff, just to find something like this to reinvigorate. Right. Yeah. You know, my, my feeling of, of this is why I like it. Realizing that my time has passed, but that I can still discover like new gems that are just awesome. Just completely, completely freaking awesome. Hey, that is everything that this show is about is 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 rediscovering that love of of the comics medium and, and just that there is still great stuff out there. You know, some of it just just waiting to be to be found, and I love that. I really love that. But yeah, I, I think uh, I think you're in for some exciting stuff because I would say right around it was just after issue 100 i want to say like right around like maybe like 109 110 running solidly through like 230 or thereabouts basically about 10 years of iron man that was awesome and and that's my golden age of iron man that's the stuff i look back on and just think wow you know what a what a great bunch of stuff a great bunch of stories and uh they don't make them like that anymore, basically. Well, what I liked about it, what I really liked about it, is that I've never been a huge Iron Man fan, but this really made me want to learn to read more of the character. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I'm going back to the to the Silver Age and Bronze Age stuff, too, but that's all. I, I'm just looking at this as, like, the, uh, the reward for slogging through, because I don't know if you've ever read like the first 10 or 15 Iron Man stories. Yeah, see, I, 
I they're, find they're kind of boring. They are, and I actually, you know, now I, I know that there's going to be some diehard Iron Man fan that probably is going to want to take me to task for this, but I think pre Iron Man 100 or, or thereabouts, I think the character was seriously lame. I, I think it's just really boring. <laughs> I mean, I, and I've read a lot of it. Don't get me wrong, I, I have, and other than some really nice art, particularly by Gene Colan. I just, they're, they're kind of just your standard silver agey stories. You know, they're kind of goofy. But the thing I, that drove me crazy was that was the whole period where, you know, Iron Man couldn't fart without running out of power. You know, it's like every <laughs> single issue, it's like, I'm dying. My heart's going to stop because my transistors need to be recharged. It's like, Jesus, dude, you know, get some freaking Duracells or something and stop whining about <laughs> running out of power all the time, you know. And, and by by this era that, you, that you've just read with 131, you know, he basically solved that. He didn't have the piece of shrapnel that was, you know, in, in imminent danger of stopping his heart. You know, he, he didn't have to worry about recharging after every single, you know, repulsor blast or whatever. They had really started to get away from all that shit. And it was really more of a, it, it was really two parts. It was, you know, the story of Tony Stark and his battle with, you know, his demons and things like that. But also Iron Man started to become more of a, more of a superhero slash espionage, but it was, it was almost like James Bond in armors to a certain degree, you know, inter international espionage and stuff. And I, I really like, or not international, but industrial, I mean, and I really liked that. It, it was a different style of superhero sort of like, it sort of gave me the same vibe I got years later from like booster gold, you know, that oh, yeah. he was, a I can see that. Yeah, I can you know see what I mean? Totally. I'm, yeah, Booster Gold was a great series. Oh yeah, I, I like that. They just they did not. No one gave that book a fair shake. Mm -mm. I mean, the fact that it that it lasted twenty four issues is a is a fucking shame. Because man, I I read it in the nineties. I picked it up pretty cheap, which was good for me, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I read it, and I was just like, this is awesome. Why did this fail? This is a great concept. So, yeah, that, you see, that's the thing. That's the thing. I, I think the great thing about the iconic Marvel characters is that each and every one of them, um, you know, Simonson's Thor, you know, a good, you know, like Byrne and Stern on Captain America, some of, you know, uh, Mark Gruenwald's Captain America, the Bill Mantlo and David Michelini Iron Man, you know, they all got a time to shine, but there was also, you know, moments where it was just like, holy crap, this is awful. <laughs> and it's kind of sad, but it's, you know, it is what it is, unfortunately. <laughs> so. Right. Well, I mean, if it wasn't for, for long periods where all those characters that you just named had their their time of suck then we you know then then the times when they were awesome like you know burns ff and simonson's thor and yeah. things like that then they they might not shine so brightly but i think that's one of the reasons that they really do is because in most of those instances you know they they were coming out of a long dark period of 
maybe not outright sucking, but just, you know, mediocrity or, or they had fallen into a rut type of thing. Because, you know, over the years, as, as I've become more of, uh, say, like a Thor fan, I've gone back pre-Simonson. Uh, just to get a feel for that stuff. And I actually find I like that stuff a lot, but I can definitely see why, you know, when Simonson came aboard, it was it was such a big freaking deal because by the time he came along, it was, wow, it was at formulaic and kind of just mediocre, you know? It was one of those things that really only would appeal to somebody who was seriously interested in, like, you know, North mythology and, and stuff like that. And, and Simonson came along and just breathed new life into the whole thing. And I love that. I love that with all these eras of, of heroes, as you were saying, you know, the, the, the classic runs that everybody talks about. I, I like that stuff. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Are you looking forward to the, to the sequel? Oh, the Iron Man two. I, yeah. I am. I am. I'm. I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, it's funny because uh, somebody sent me a link to the first trailer when it when it first came out for the new movie, and I was like, "Wow, you know, everybody's flipping out, and I just don't. I don't see it. It's, it kind of looks eh to me." But then I saw the second trailer, and I was like, "Okay, now I get it. Now it looks really cool because it, it showed me a lot more of the stuff." I wanted to see, you know, from an Iron Man movie. So yeah, I, I think it, uh, it it shows some promise. It looks very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I every ad I see makes me a little bit more excited to see it because I really liked the first one. Granted, I wasn't really expecting much because of you know I wasn't a big Iron Man fan, but you know we went to see it and I was just like, wow, this is a really, really great take on a, on a character and even though I wasn't overly familiar with him I understood that they got who Tony Stark was so yeah. I'll tell you one thing though is that I'm I think I'm going to be very disappointed and disheartened if there's not at least some small callback even if it's just a line even if it's just something some character says but some sort of callback to the ending of uh, of the Hulk with uh, Tony Stark's little guest cameo there at the end, you know, referencing, you know, well, I guess you got a problem and all that sort of thing. I, I hope they pick that up right in the beginning of Iron Man 2. I would like to see, you know, a newspaper headline or maybe even a, you know, while the credits are rolling, see him actually fighting the Hulk or, you know, they, they mention it in past. Hey, thanks for helping us with that Hulk thing. Or, you know, just something like that to acknowledge that in-between period. If they if they don't do that, I think that'll be a real shame. I can agree with that. I'll totally agree with that, as a matter of fact. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of thecomicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. 
Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.